Peasley is my very first seminary professor. And on the first day of class, he informed me that my name is McPherson. He's a Scots, Scotsman and that we are related because I guess in your mother's side, she's related to the McPherson, McPherson clan. So I thought, well, this is going to be easy. A family member teaching the class, I can just skate through. This won't be a problem at all. And it was one of the more challenging classes. And I loved hearing Dr. Deasley lecture because I learned more about scripture and just his lectures than I had ever known before. And he also had this great sense of humor that is, uh, was very dry. And we did not know if he was telling a joke or not. And then we got the joke like five minutes after he had said it because uh, he doesn't pause at all. And, and so it was just entertaining class to be a part of. And I thought, he's funny. He's a family member. And he failed me. Now, uh, as I said, I was a business major, so I wasn't ready to take New Testament, church history, theology, and some other all at the same time. It was just a bit much for me. Um, and I say that he failed me, but actually I'm the one who failed the class. It's not, he didn't fail me, I failed the class. And I couldn't understand why he wasn't looking out for a family member, a fellow Scotsman. And I realize now, looking back upon that, that it was an incredible act of grace on his part by not letting me skate through. So when your professors, you feel, are a little too hard on you, or the class is a little too challenging, um, it's because they are responsible to shape and form you into all that God has called you to do and to be. Uh, after taking that class and realized that I now need to change my life and study harder, I did very, very well through seminary after that. And My wife was a big help in editing papers. I give her full credit for that. Uh, but was able to do well because, but it had that not happened or if he had just allowed me to talk my way out of it, which I tried to do, uh, I would have suffered for it and I don't believe God could have used my life to the fullest. So I can't believe I'm saying this, Dr. Deasley. Thank you for failing me in that uh, New Testament class. Uh, it was a tremendous act of grace, I guess, and uh, I am uh, really honored and we're all honored. And please uh, give him your undivided attention out of respect uh, for him and his love for the church and the way he has invested in pastors' lives for over 40 years. Will you please welcome Dr. Alex Deasley. I always come to Boston with misgivings. And I have more misgivings to uh, count now after that introduction. <laughs> Boston is this great seat of culture and learning, the scene and setting of many famous battles which my side lost. <laughs> The, the, the trigger of it all was a dispute about the best way to make tea. <laughs> Did you make tea best by throwing the tea into the water or by pouring the water onto the tea? And that, that, that dispute has, uh, has never been resolved uh, as far as I know. I thought I would uh, take heart from uh, having here in the, the chaplain uh, a fellow clansman, uh, but uh, 
he sort of destroyed that confidence. Uh, I, I think he's forgotten the, the, cl the clan motto. Uh, don't touch the cap without a glove. When you're, when you're trying to make friends, you do it by seeking common ground. You, you do it by seeking to create empathy, by seeking to create good feelings. Uh, this is the way in which uh, you go about making friends, as all of us know very well. How then do these verses strike you from Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to verse 62? How do these verses strike you as an attempt to make friends and influence people? Listen to them. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I would say that that isn't just a cup of cold water. I would say that's a bucket full. Why does Jesus respond in this brusque way to these three inquiries, two of them coming to follow him on their own initiative, and a third called by him, but apparently open to being called. Put these three thumbnail sketches into their place in the unfolding story in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is on his way to Jerusalem, for the last attempt to win it, for the last attempt to win it and to save it from disaster. So he is still calling disciples, and some of them are still coming to him of their own accord. And what is his message to them contained in these very blunt and in some respects harsh responses. Look at them in turn. 
follow me, he said. Follow me, whatever. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That is what you are coming to if you decide to be my follower. Follow me, that is to say, but follow me with your eyes wide open. Now, we do not hear that very much from people who are anxious for us to become their followers. Just listen to the ads, the election ads on television these days. That's all the evidence you need. You don't hear that kind of thing. Occasionally, we have heard it. Occasionally, we have heard it in my lifetime. And when we have heard it, the words have stood out with riveting clarity. Winston Churchill to the House of Commons in London on May the 10th, 1940, the day after he became Prime Minister. I have nothing to offer this nation but blood and toil, tears and sweat. John F. Kennedy, in his first and only inaugural address. So I say to you, do not ask what America can do for you. Ask rather what you can do for America. We do not hear that note very much. But that is the vein in which Jesus speaks. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I have a picture in my mind. Actually, I have it in my Bible too. I carry it around with me. Of two recent graduates of Nazarene Theological Seminary who are now serving in a limited access country as they are known. We are not allowed to say where they are. We are not allowed to uh, reprint their prayer letters as they come through. And there they are. I received their latest prayer letter just about ten days ago. And as I read it off the screen, a sense of awe descended on my spirit. For there they were in sacrifice. There they were foregoing all of the advantages of living in, a wealthy, in the wealthiest nation on earth. There they were living in peril as they described how they now had a group of five people who met with them week by week 
and who were showing interest in the story of Christ. Their letter is written in their own language, a language that they had to invent, a language of circumlocutions, so that if it fell into the hands of any official who downloaded it, was able to download it from the screen, it wouldn't give them away. So they refer to God as Father, they refer to him as Dad, Dad has done this, the Father has enabled us to do this and so on. All of this language of circumlocution. But there they are, following Christ, whatever. And then there is the second man who, whom Jesus calls. Follow me, Jesus says, but first let me go and bury my father. Not just follow me whatever, but follow me first. Put me before the strongest needs and the strongest natural urges that you have in life. It does not matter very much how you interpret that phrase, let me go and bury my father. Does it mean that his father was already dead and Jesus was saying don't bother to go to the funeral? Does it mean that his father was not far from death and the man wanted to go back and stay there until his father had died? It does not make a great deal of difference. He had the ceremonial law on his side. Because the ceremonial law ordered him, ordered every Jewish son to preside at his father's funeral. He had natural instinct and family obligation on his side. But Jesus said, leave the burying of the dead to those with earthbound horizons, following me is the first priority. And then there's this third man in the story. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This pushes the point to the limit. No time for goodbyes. That is how it was with the calling of the first disciples as Mark describes it in his gospel, chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and immediately they follow him. Jesus calls James and John and immediately they leave their father in the boat and follow him. No goodbyes. No looking back over your shoulder. Follow me, whatever. Follow me first. Follow me now. Now, Making all allowances, all due allowances for a degree of hyperbole there. Who has the right 
to speak to people in this way? Who has the right to speak to us in this way? Absolute, uncompromising, peremptory, imperious. Who has the right to order our lives in this kind of way? Running through these brief exchanges, there are two items that keep cropping up. One is the person who is speaking, and the other is the cause which he is advancing. The central figure, of course, in these thumbnail sketches, the central figure is not any of these men who comes to Jesus, nor all of them put together. The central figure is Jesus himself as the one who called them. The one who identifies himself here as the Son of Man. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's an Old Testament expression. And the Old Testament passage that lies behind this use here is Daniel chapter 7. A chapter in which all of the great empires of history are listed, one following another, one overthrown by its successor. And then Daniel reads in chapter 13, As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kinship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. That is to say, he is the one on whom all of history hinges. He is the crucial figure in the crucial turning point in history. He is the one, as this, these, his replies here make clear, he is the one who has the right to decide who is fit for the kingdom of God and who is not fit for the kingdom of God. So if we ask the question, as we well may, why does he have the right to order and direct people in this kind of way and with this kind of tone? The answer is, it is because of who he is, the Son of Man, to whom God has given authority and power and dominion. Whenever you have a king, you also have a kingdom. And that comes through out of this passage too. Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In Jesus, Messiah, 
The kingdom has come, not in its fullness, but it has come in its active power. And what we are called upon to do as his followers is to proclaim its presence. Go and proclaim the reign of God, the rule of God. What we are called upon to do is to live in its power. At an earlier point in this gospel, Luke records how John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus to ask him if he really was the coming one as John had believed him to be. And Jesus said to John's disciples, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind are receiving their sight. The deaf are hearing. The dead are being raised. And blessed are those who do not take offense at me. We are to work in the power of the kingdom, bringing peace to broken spirits, bringing wholeness to a decadent society, bringing purpose to a blundering world. Jesus is calling disciples still, just as he did then, in the same way, with the same authority, and on the same terms. Follow me, whatever the consequences. Follow me first. Follow me now. I heard the call. Come, follow. That was all. Earth's joys grew dim. My soul went after him. I rose and followed. That was all. Thank you. 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 Thank you.